And if you don't care who I sleep with, then you can't possibly know what it feels like for me to walk down the street holding my wife's hand and have to make a decision whether I should drop it or not. Welcome to It's Not Human Sexuality, the show that goes beyond sexuality to reproductive health. Understanding the foundations of reproductive health allows you and the ones you love to make better decisions about your health, mind, and relationships. This podcast is co-hosted by Dr. Betsy Cairo, or Dr. B, and Mandy Johnson. Dr. B has her doctorate in human reproduction and is a board-certified reproductive biologist. She is also a certified sexuality educator with supervisory standing and over 20 years experience teaching at the graduate and undergraduate level. She is the owner of the only commercial cryobank in Colorado and is the executive director of the nonprofit Look Both Ways. Her nonprofit specializes in reproductive health education. Mandy Johnson is a high school family and consumer science teacher with more than 15 years experience and a master's degree in education. She is also a certified sexuality educator and is treasurer on the board of Look Both Ways. The two have been friends for many years and are passionate about changing the way we educate our youth about their reproductive health. Welcome to the latest episode of It's Not Human Sexuality. I'm Mandy Johnson. And I'm Dr. Betsy or Dr. B, and with us today is Ash Beckham. It's not that it gets easier, we get stronger and more resilient and, and better at stepping into those conversations and seeing the benefits that come from them. Ash is a speaker, equality advocate, and author of Step Up, How to Live with Courage and Become an Everyday Leader. How are we supporting the kid who maybe, who's a friend, who's going through something, who might not have a safe space at home to go to, right? Like how are we as parents just like listening in the most genuine, curious way to what our kids need. Ash is an inclusive activist whose 2013 TEDx talk, Coming Out of Your Closet, became a viral sensation. Her intrepid, relatable, and intrinsically comical style has made her an in-demand speaker, including events at Microsoft, Lockheed Martin, Bank of America, and the keynote for the first LGBTQ conference at Harvard University. So Ash, after I watched your TEDx talk, I knew I had to meet you. And at that time you were living in Boulder and I was so excited when you agreed to have coffee with me. It was at that time that I asked you to be a speaker at a conference uh, for our nonprofit Look Both Ways that we were holding at, at Colorado State University and you agreed to speak and it was such a big hit with the students. That was a cup of coffee I will never forget. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. Welcome, Ash. It's so good to have you here. I love your videos. I show them in my classes. Uh, your first one specifically, I, I show that to my students because I, I think it's so important to, to talk about. Like we all do have hard things to talk about, and and it's it's something universal yeah. that we all deal with. And I just think that's such a cool message. Yeah, absolutely. So excited to be here. And yeah, I think the we sometimes get so siloed in in some of uh, the way we categorize ourselves that we really have the ability to open up and relate when we can find those universal truths that exist. And so I'm, I'm so glad that that resonated with you. Thanks for having me. Sure. Well, you know, since then, obviously, you've gone on to do so many more TED and TEDx talks, and each is unique, obviously, uh, but also revolving around the conversations that so many of us don't want to have, you know. And um, when you think about those talks, and when you think about those conversations, I'm just going to ask you, uh, to date, 
to date, what has been your most uncomfortable conversation? I mean, I think coming to terms with my own sexuality with myself in the mirror was probably the hardest one, right? Like, I think we're always our own hardest critic. We come up with the worst case scenarios sometimes. So, you know, everybody has their own journey. So not to say that that's everybody's, but for me, that was still the hardest conversation. Like I just, I remember, and it wasn't a singular conversation. Like that's the thing also, you know, when we frame these things as hard conversations in a perfect world, they kind of continue, right? That that we have it and it's hard and we have it the next time and it isn't perfect, but it's a little bit easier, right? And we, and we dive in and, and what doesn't, it's not that it gets easier, we get stronger and more resilient and, and better at stepping into those conversations and seeing the benefits that come from them. So I, I would say that. And then following that would have been, you know, telling my parents, coming out to my parents, I think was, was, was the um, rubber hitting the road, I guess. Um, I kind of, uh, it was, didn't live near them. So it was, I was able to hide it for a really long time. And then, um, you know, eventually had to, had to come to terms with it and, and, and be honest. And that was a, that was a tough one. So I, I would say those are still the, the hardest ones. I think I've had some, you know, romantic breakups that have been really hard too, you know, like, you, I don't know if you're a people person or just like a human that's in touch with other people's emotions, like you don't want to hurt people or potentially hurt them. So I think any of those are hard and asked me on the given day and it was the hardest thing I had ever done. Right. So, uh, I think those are, those would be a few to choose from. Sure, and, and I and there's always a list, and and like you said, it's it's any given day as to what is the hardest conversation, yeah. you know. And I think that that's the important message, and that's kind of the answer I was, you know, expecting because I know that when we had that cup of coffee and you had done your talk, uh, you got a little pushback from that, from your community saying, you know, we don't agree with you, Ash. We think we have the hardest conversation. We think, you know, we have the biggest closet, you know, and you, you were really struggling with that. I know we talked a little bit about that. Has that turned around a lot for you? I feel like it has. I mean, I feel like there's still, you know, like any of us, right. And, and I don't know if you pay attention to like the thumbs up and the thumbs down on the, on the podcast, but like, you know, I could have, <laughs> 8 million people view the video and the six people to give it a thumbs down or 600 or 6,000 or whatever it is right now. I'm like, why don't they like me? You know, if you go back to that place <laughs> and even, um, you know, if they just knew me, maybe I could just convince them. You're like, oh, it's exhausting, right? It's a yes, small it percentage. Is. And I think when you're being honest, like you're not doing it for anybody else. You're doing it for yourself and it resonates with some people and and some people it doesn't. And, and that's okay, right? It's everybody's everybody's journey. So I feel like it has... Um, maybe I just don't give it bandwidth anymore. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't seek it out. I think that's just like my own, um, mental health probably is, is just making sure that, that that's not how I'm speaking to. I mean, I think it's important to, to know that you're connecting with the community and I love going, giving a talk and having people challenge what I say because it keeps me on my toes. Right. And it makes me aware of, of what I'm not seeing, uh, and maybe ways that the community is changing, that I'm not aware of because of my age, privilege, socioeconomic demographic, right? Like all of these things, like you have to stay abreast of these issues because they're constantly changing and they're constantly in flux. So if, if I'm excluding a group or not speaking effectively to someone, like I want to know, but you know, the haters that just hate, uh, you know, that's kind of, I kind of uh, have the resilience around that, that, that it, I'm okay with it and that's fine. And you kind of let people do their own thing and, and that makes it a little bit easier for me. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think part of that equation is if I like having somebody challenge me or open discussion in a in a presentation as well, because perhaps they misinterpreted or they are or they're misinformed. And, and this is an opportunity to it's a teachable moment, right? We always have these teachable moments for somebody, either me, <laughs> them, the, other, you know, you know. the person next to him. And I like teachable moments. I think a lot of times uh, people don't, but I think they're important. And I look at life almost exclusively as a teachable moment every day. That's yeah. a good way to look at it. You, you're a very, you're a very strong yeah. activist. You have a lot of compassion. We hear, you know, from a lot of people that are in the same same uh, vein as you that it was you became the accidental activist. Like this is not something you set out to do. It's just something that was maybe rolling around in your head. Is that is that true for you? Were you the accidental activist advocate to to get here? Did that just sort of unfold for you? Did you seek it? Not really. I mean, there's been times in my life when I haven't felt like what I had to say mattered um, or was worth people's time. You know, like I, I think that there were times that I thought that were the my own insecurity was there that like, who the hell do you think you are? Kind of, you know, that that like devil on the shoulder that gives you the self-doubt. But I, I've never shied away from the microphone. I just saw activists in a in a very different way and not in these kind of like one-on-one conversations. It was more the like soapbox march in the parade kind, which, which I appreciate, but also didn't really fit me and how I wanted to make change. And I think the way that we make it personal is the way that it's most effective. And when we're our most authentic as leaders is when we're most effective. And so for me, it was, it was through humor and through connection and through empathy Um and, and through those conversations. And so that made it a little bit easier. So it wasn't anything I really tried to do, but when you do, and I think anybody does this, right? Like once your voice starts to resonate with people, even if you're afraid to keep talking, like, what would you tell your best friend? You know, if I had a friend that had a, did a talk and all of a sudden it had a half a million views and they're like, mm, I don't know, you'd be like, come on, like you owe giving it a shot, right? You owe the people that aren't strong enough to speak or don't have the privilege that you have to get up and speak to have a voice be heard, to be a voice for the voiceless. And and that isn't like driven by ego. That's driven by knowing what it's like to not feel like your voice has value. And then seeing somebody that makes you feel like you're not alone. That to me is the the point of it. And and so I, it wasn't, certainly wasn't anything I pursued. And, and I mean, now it is, um, it's a huge part of my life, but it isn't, I, I wasn't going down that activist, activism, advocate path. Um, But I think we all have our own ways we can do it. It's kind of like the point of the everyday leader piece is like you can lead from exactly where you are. You don't need another degree, another direct report, a bigger budget line, a title, right? Like you can do it from exactly where you are if you do it genuinely in the way that you feel strongly about. And, And so that's kind of, that's where it came from for me. So it's been easy because it's been honest and authentic the whole time. And so that's, to me, makes it um, seem not like work a lot of times. Right. And that's yeah. what makes it very relatable and yes. why people will be empowered by it. And, you know, like we say, as educators, we just say whether we reach one person or 500,000 people, for us, it's it's worth it. Yeah. And, and we mean that sincerely. Yeah. You know, I've lectured to a room of two and I've lectured to a room of 
2000. So, you know, and, and for me, it's it's the same presentation and it's the same level of passion. And I know that's true for, yeah. for you as well. I mean, we all get it. And that part is really important. There's a lot of attention right now and, and maybe not a huge amount, and, but still a lot of attention on sexual diversity, gender identity, um, politically based with silly laws being passed, uh, that kind of thing. Some good, not so, some not so much good. Um, but do you think it's important or do you think it's necessary for people to share their sexual or gender identity? I think if it's important to them, it's important, right? Like okay. I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody needs to be outed. I think it's very empowering, like to me, and this is, I am, I like took social 101. Like this is, there is no data collection analysis as part of this, but my gut is the two things that changed the arc for LGBTQ people were a people being out. Like it wasn't just your college roommate or your sister, right? It was your doctor or your kid's soccer coach, right? Like the outness in communities in a way that made people integrated in the community was huge. And the second thing was LGBTQ people having kids because that's the most really relatable thing in the world, right? Like you don't really care who somebody's sleeping with when you know they were up all night with their kid anyway, and you know, you're not sleeping, right? Like you, you know, it's very relatable. It's this very like cis heteronormative thing to have kids. And so when gay people started to do it, it was like, mm, okay, you like, you know what it's like, like, I don't really get how you do it and what your gender roles are and who takes out the trash and who nurses or whatever weirdness people have to like <laughs> labels have to put on it. But at the same time, like it's having a kid with an earache in the middle of the night and then having to go do a presentation is something that people can relate to. So those two mm -hmm. things, the outness and the family to me by far were the biggest impacts and kind of the cultural shift, the grassroots shift, not necessarily the legislative shift. I think that trailed it, right? I think that was a lagging indicator, but I think just knowing people that were gay and all of a sudden it went from them, to them to an us, right? Like when I came out to my family and my, my family was fine, but my parents, friends, like, I didn't want them to think differently of me because I was gay. I wanted them to think differently of gay people because now they knew one, right? Like, I'm still that same kid. And and those relationships, like, that happening throughout the community, to me, was what made that cultural shift. Because now, all of a sudden, I know somebody that that law affects. I know Ash can't get married just like her sister did because she's gay, right? Like, the personalization of it, I think, made the huge change. So, to me... The outness of gender identity, the outness of gender expression, the outness of sexuality, if you feel comfortable and safe doing that just allows you to be an example and a leader for so many people that think they're alone. So I guess I'm kind of hedging my bets on that. If you can, yes, absolutely. Come out, come out wherever you are, right? Like the more the merrier yeah. because it makes it relatable. But at the same time, like I would never, ever pressure anyone to come out before they were ready whatever their calculation on ready was, right? Like that is just such a personal decision. I mean, I think sure. it's better out here, but I don't know everybody's journey, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the pregnancy thing was a really important concept that I have experienced because I own a cryobank and, and I've had it for over 30 years. And so I've seen, you know, three decades is a long time to see how the community is evolving with respect to having kids. And, and in all honesty, I can tell you that, 
in particular with the lesbian community, a lot of people were upset if their friends wanted to use a sperm bank and have families because they were told and under the impression and the pressure was, well, you're a lesbian, you don't have children. That's the card you gave up. Absolutely. And I, you like, like signed up, right? Yeah. You're like, you're going to yeah. work at UPS. You're going to be a gym teacher. You're going to have 10 <laughs> cats. You're going to wear, you're going to like wear flannel shirts. Like that's it. That's You're going to play in like an adult softball league till you're 45, 60. You're going to, you know what I mean? Like that's your life. Take it or leave it. Right. And, and that mm-hmm. was, I feel like I was kind of on the tail end of that. And it was a very conscious decision of like, if I decide to be a lesbian, I am deciding to live this life. Am I giving up family? And my wife, who's 12 years younger, has a completely different perspective and expectation of what normal is, right? Like that is, that's like, she, I mean, she'll like wear a flannel to a farm. That's it. You know what I mean? It's like a completely different <laughs> world. You would never peg her as gay. But in our conversation earlier, right? Like she's constantly coming out in a different way. Every time she meets somebody new at work, right? Oh, what does your husband do? Right? Like it's, it's a constant battle where like, she was the one that carried both of our kids. Right? Like it was, and like people haven't mistaken me for straight in two decades, but my wife gets it all the time. Like there's different battles. Like who's to say, which one of like, would you rather be pegged? I don't know if it's safe. Yeah. It's easier than having to come out when you're not ready all the time. You know, she handles it with such grace. She's amazing. It's her own journey, but like, I don't know who's to say one's easier or harder. I don't, I don't know. I know. And teaching this topic for over 21 years to college students and graduate students, you know, and we talk about how that, how we pigeonhole people into the expectations of what we think they should be just based on things, you know, uh, sexual identity, sexual behavior, gender identity, et cetera. The whole, you can't be gay. You look like a girl. (laughs) You must not be. You just haven't met the right guy. Yeah. Yeah, There it is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just a weird, it's so it's so wild. But then you have ki- kid. I mean, what what I refer to is kids. So like teenagers, probably twenty somethings, and their concept of gender is so fluid that like they are to the best of their ability, as much as they are empowered, pushing back on that so strongly. Where I, you know, I still define myself. I identify as a lesbian, but I have, but and I have, and I bristle, although less so now, at the word queer because it had such a negative connotation for me. But then I'll be on a panel with 20 year olds that won't identify as a lesbian because of the negative connotation, but will identify as queer women. You know what I mean? Like it's just their understand their concept of the fluidity and like what you, you're not signing up for anything. Like you don't have to fit in anybody's box. You don't have to fit in your own box. Like you're just figuring it out. How accepting a society around you, I think is debatable, but I think that fluidity to me is why there's like, when we think of mentorship or relationships, especially in like a organizational structure, it has to be reciprocal because the people in the twenties, as much as they're maybe being mentored professionally, socially are mentoring the 50 somethings that don't understand the world that we're currently living in. Like that reciprocity is, is where, like you, we said earlier about people constantly willing to grow and learn, like you, you have to be, or you're going to get left behind. You just, you have to be, you have to be willing even as a leader, not to have the answers, but to be willing to, to find the answers collectively. Touche, of course. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I've been, it's been fascinating 
teachable moments for me, like I said, over the last 30 years to see this shift and change. And then definitely with the transgender community, we have a lot of um, younger kiddos coming in and storing uh, sperm before transitioning in. And that's a really big decision to be making at 14, 15. And I don't mean the decision to transition. I mean the decision to store reproductive cells, to think that someday down the road, if they you're 30 or 40, you might want to use these. And this kiddo is just thinking, I just want my estrogen. <laughs> you know, I just I just need to. And so it, it, when they have the parents behind them and the parents are trying to do what they feel is the right thing on the longitudinal end of that, it's like you said, these kids get the gender fluidity, but they don't still know the long term of what that means for them, right? It's it's really interesting yeah. at that. I mean, I've been teaching high school for 17 years. And, you know, when I first started teaching, there was there was only a few students who 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 gender crossed in their expression, I guess is how I would say that. And yeah. now, like you said, the fluidity is I mean, there are so many young males that they wear nail polish or different kinds of makeup on their face, but still very much identify as males and still there, there's boys that that wear high heels and and dress like girls and still call themselves boys and and very much identify as boys, but have no problem, you know, doing the cross dress at school and several. Yeah, because for them, I mean, it's really interesting the yeah. change that I've seen in in this just in 17 years, and the kids are so much more fluid now and and so much more accepting of each yeah. other and and yeah. you know other kids doing that like I don't see kids getting made fun of for doing that I did they, they just are very accepting of each other and just very okay with it in a way that 15 years ago they wouldn't have been it's it's oh, it's yeah, incredible absolutely it's it's wild and you think I mean you think as a parent like you would be you you have this mentality of how you grew up and what the world was like when you went through it and you, and this I feel like was my mom's biggest pushback with me coming out was like it is da- you it is dangerous that is dangerous whether that's mm-hmm. like social mm-hmm. exile physically dangerous emotionally dangerous like it was always about protecting me in a way to to insulate me from judgment or worse right and so you have these parents now who even still might understand fluidity a little bit but not knowing how accepting the community could or could not be, I think is like just a, a lens of education that as parents, we have to be willing to, to, to learn that. And even if it isn't our kid, how are we supporting the kid who maybe who's a friend who's going through something who might not have a safe space at home to go to, right? Like how are we as parents just like listening in the most genuine, curious way to what our kids need? Yes. And poignant as not everybody has a safe space at home. And I think it's still fair to say that even though we are moving in the right direction and we have come a long way, we still have a lot of violence around it. Still a long ways to go. Still how, yeah. And and I think, you know, that question for you and, and I ask it all the time for myself is, will there be a point where it doesn't matter what, who you're married to or you know, what you identify as. Well, there, well, is that important? Do we, do we want to move to that? Do we want to get that out of our, our, our milieu of, of mattering? Does it matter? I, I mean, I think it always matters because I don't think you can understand this. I, I can't say that we will ever rid ourselves of hate. Like I, I think there's too many institutionalized forces that, that, create environments 
where any sexuality in general is not something that people talk about, let alone fluidity. So, so I feel like that, that those pressures will always exist. And to me, like, I don't, it does matter to me because what I face in the world is because I'm gay. And if you don't care who I sleep with, then you can't possibly know what it feels like for me to walk down the street holding my wife's hand and have to make a decision whether I should drop it or not when I'm assessing the environment that I'm in, right? Like that matters to me in the same way that like, you might not know what it's like to walk in a store and have the security guard only follow you because you're the only person of color, right? Like it matters. Our individuality matters because the way we are seen in the world is different. And so to me, we're not looking for this, like, it doesn't matter. It it always matters, dot, 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 and it's okay. And I'm here for you for all the people that aren't, right? Like to me, that that's the key is that it is it is personal and it is and it does matter. And there will always be kids that are in environments where it's not okay. And for that very reason, we have to be out and say it it does it does matter. I think you're right. It it I think our stories always matter. Like I always told my students, don't ever lose your story. Don't mm-hmm. try to beat your history out of you. Don't lose your story. Don't try to be like everybody else. You know, that's not, it's, I think losing your story is for me, it's just, it's soul sucking. But what I want to happen is that it doesn't matter because we don't feel the need to pass legislation against it. Like we don't have to have bathroom bills and, you know, no trans kids in sports bills and like, wow, do we waste a lot of time, you know? Right. And hopefully these kids that grow up and are gender fluid will say, we're not doing that. (laughs) We're just not going to, we're not going to elect officials that do that. We're just not going to do that. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Um, So I agree with you. I think that that is really important. And then, you know, you were talking about for your wife and how, you know, she is often put in awkward moments because, Maybe people assume she's um, heterosexual or, you know, uh, which brings us to the topic of coming out. And I always marvel at how people go like it's one day, you know, like, oh, today's my coming out day. Yeah. We even have when a did, holiday on it. Or, yeah, it's coming out day. And I'm thinking, which day, <laughs> which episode? Right. So and you you touched on that. Um, you know, you you've probably come out a lot. Do you still feel find yourself doing that? I do. I mean, I feel, I feel like in my, in my speaking professional world, it's pretty understood, like by the topics. That was something that was really hard for me of like, well, what, what am I going to do if I, you know, what happens when I come out on the stage? And my friends were like, have you listened to your own talks? Like anybody that's having you speak knows you're a lesbian. Like there's, there's no getting around it. So it was like the other aspects of my life. Right. So, um, like I said earlier, my family runs a um, youth sports tournament business. And I was pretty protective of not coming out in that environment. It, it exists, you know, um, where it happens is in um, a less progressive place than when I, where I live. It's um, part of my family's livelihood. Like I wasn't going to sink it because I was gay, right? That was kind of it. And my parents both grew up Catholic and, and are are incredibly supportive. My dad has since passed away. But when I got engaged, my father told everyone I was getting married. Like his way of dealing with it was like, 
everybody. Didn't matter where we were, what part of the country we were in, rural West Virginia, like any stereotype of people you would have thought would have had a like a bad reaction to it. My dad was like, Ash is getting married. Like, just like, tell, like he was, he was coming out constantly. And that normalized it for me of he wasn't worried. He didn't care what the impacts were. He did, like, if somebody wasn't going to support what we did because of the quality of what we did, because I was gay, we didn't want him there anyway. And it was like this, it was very real to me of like, you have to be willing to risk it all because there are kids that are there that have never seen a lesbian in a position of authority. Right. And it's like, it was more me than it was anybody. It was my worry and perception about what other people were going to think way more than it was what other people were actually going to think. Right. And I feel like so many times in these coming out stories, that's what holds us back. And I'm not, I'm not, um, minimizing the real, like we talked about earlier, the real threat of violence, the real threat of ramifications. Like I, I think that exists, but I think a lot of times those threats that we feel, it doesn't matter if they're real or perceived. We have the same visceral reaction inside and it's just easier not to. Um, but the impact we can make when we do is just so significant that you eventually get to the tipping point where you just don't live in the closet anymore. And I, it's not like I meet people and I'm like, hey, coach, I'm gay. Like, that's not what it is. But I'll be like, my son, my wife, you know what I mean? And like, again, nobody thinks I'm straight. They just assume I'm not. But you know what I mean? But then I say I have kids and I have a wife and whatever. You like it's it's just normal conversation. And that was so much more about me being able to sit in that awkward and uncomfortable and answer those questions about my personal life than it was about anybody else's reaction. And my normalizing of it made it normal for everybody around me. Right. And I think that's a good point. You know, you really I think that's that's just really basically it as far as what as you had said earlier that difficult conversation you had was with yourself in the mirror about the acknowledgement. And um, we, like we all do, we make stories or we play out the scenario in our head of how we think things are going to go regardless of what it is, whether you're talking to a potential student, you know, talking to a student, you're talking to, you start playing in this, this scenario of what things are going to be said. And then it's like, not that (laughs) it's just great, you know, but you're geared up for it. You're ready for it. You know, you've got your, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, plan A, plan B, plan C, you know, backdoor to D and, you know, you've got it all laid out at how, how this conversation is going to go. And then it doesn't, doesn't. (laughs) and it just goes great. And you're just like, well, that was easy. I was like, I was like, I was all warmed up, did my jump rope and everything. I had all my things to say. (laughs) Yeah, but wait a minute. I had all my ducks in a row this time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I had like practiced it in the mirror. Like I knew (laughs) I was ready for every response they possibly could have had. And if, I would have stopped that. I would have had the conversation so much sooner. Like, I think you just eventually have to get to the point where you're just like, it. can you, you know, you just have to say it doesn't matter. Like, and again, that's right. like that tipping point that we talked about, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. gain versus the loss, the risk versus the reward. Like you just get to the point where you just have to and that's everybody's journey. But I think once you do it, then you're just like, that's so much wasted time. You know, I feel like when the conversations that we're talking about where you're like, well, I, what if they say this? What if they say that? You eventually are just like, and it doesn't, you still get surprised, right? You, you're you never underprepared because you do it in your head, but it doesn't stop you from having the conversation. You just know you can handle the conversation. It's that, that same concept we talked about earlier, right? Like it doesn't get easier. You get stronger. You get more resilient. You get more mobile. You pivot quicker. You know that your default is empathy. Like that's the whole point of the, 
book really is like, here are these eight pillars, but really it's a toolkit, right? When you, what do they say? When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so the point of this yeah. was to create like, in some situations, you need empathy, humility, and patience. And in other situations, you need courage, grace, and authenticity, right? And so you as a leader, whether you're the CEO or the 10-year-old captain of the soccer team, you as a leader are choosing based on the scenario, these are the most effective tools for me to use to lead in the situation the way that I want to, right? And that doesn't matter if it's like you getting a coffee at the coffee shop or you making a decision of an acquisition for your organization, right? Like you are deciding in whatever situation, no matter how uncomfortable it is, this is what this situation needs for me to be the leader I want to be, right? And so all of these things are different and we use them in different recipes, but they're all critical to leading in our most authentic way. Perfect. And that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about, which was your book. And what you were talking about is another slang or euphemism of reading the room, you know, yes. <laughs> what, what do I, what do I got? I, I not being tone deaf, all, all these, you know, cliches, but they're real, they're true. And I think that for people like you, especially you're good at reading the room, you know, what the people in the room need, and those are the tools you're going to pull on to communicate with them. And that's what your book is about. And I, and I love that. I love, there were so many stories in there that I'm, I know that they resonated with me. And I know they will resonate with anybody that doesn't matter age, sex, gender, sexual expression. It's just people and what they're experiencing at those moments. Um, you know, you talked about the the chapters. I don't want to go into great detail because I think people should buy your book and they should read it. So I don't want to give everything away. But those pillars are really good and they're really important. But I do want to kind of talk about, you know, the one you have a, a discussion in there during the political um, turmoil we were in prior to this administration. And we make assumptions about people who maybe voted for Trump. And I think that your your experience in that, that story that you told in the book, would you mind sharing it again? Because I think it's I think it's spot on. And I can tell you there were numerous times in my life recently that I've experienced that exact episode. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the the basis of it, and again, it's so to me feels so timely this time of year, right? As we're getting back together with family or creating our chosen family around the holidays, right? Like who are we surrounding ourselves with and how do we get through this in a way that is civil and additive for all of us and maybe stay away from topics and just better understand the people that we might mm -hmm. not agree with, right? Like we like when was the last time anyone agreed with their father on politics. Like you just don't like, I didn't agree with my parents for years. Like that's just like the dynamics of generations and location and what you've been exposed to. Like we don't have to agree to sit down and have a meal. We have to have a baseline of respect. So for me, it was, um, so my family runs girls fast pitch softball tournaments and we were in uh, West Virginia and there'd been a lot of rain and we were working on the fields. And, um, uh, it was right after the, um, tapes had come out of, uh, Trump with, um, Billy, whatever his name is, um, the access Hollywood tapes, right. Where he was speaking yeah, very right. pejoratively mm -hmm. of women. And so that happened. And so there was kind of this conversation that was, that was happening. And this is like, again, this is women's, this is a organization, our organization run by myself and my father who had two girls, who's 
an extreme feminist, right? My very strong mother, like this is a women-centric organization around girls in sport and the empowerment that comes from that. That's like what we're about at our core. And so there's this conversation that's happening around around Trump. And my assumption was anybody that could possibly be involved in women's sports could never vote for him, right? Like if you, you cannot see that misogyny and then still support that person. If, if this is something you believe in, if you have daughters, right? Like this very single issue vision that I have. And, and, and then this the guy that I was with, the, the, we were like raking the fields together. And he essentially was like, this is the only, he's the only one's talking about bringing jobs back to West Virginia. Right. Like he's the you know, none of the other candidates are talking about that. Certainly nobody on the Democratic side. Like, I don't care who was running or what his sins were. I need to stop working at Walmart and get a job where I can put my kids through school. I thought I was going to have their college paid for. And now we're going to lose the house. Like it is very basic needs. Like I don't essentially I don't have the luxury of making that decision based on social issues if I believe he's going to bring jobs back. Right. And so it completely, A, it made, I mean, I'd shut up. Right. And B, it really made me look at my privilege and appreciate that I had, like, my livelihood was not tied to the one factory in town or the one mine in town. Right. That was, that was a privilege that I had. Um, and I exercised that and my ability to make those political decisions based on social issues was, based on my socioeconomic level to a certain extent, right? And again, not that people, not that that was the singular characteristic, but but sometimes people don't get to make those decisions. And so to know why he voted for him, like it wasn't, is, are you a misogynist or not? Like it wasn't that simple. People's lens in politics isn't as myopic as yours is a lot of times. And so how do we really get curious as to the why? Like, can you... Like, what, what do you believe? And then I think you, you know, you can get into debating facts, but like, kind of what's the point? Like, once I heard this guy's reasoning, it was kind of inarguable, right? Like, that's what he believed. And it didn't really matter what I thought or what Trump was on video saying. Like, it didn't, like, it was, it made a lot of sense to me. And all of a sudden I saw this guy in a very different way and what his struggles were and his humanity in a way that I hadn't if he would have just said he was voting for Trump, right? And so, so I think that lens on getting to somebody's why, taking the time and the compassion, like, there, he's not going to change my mind and who I'm going to vote for, but to be genuinely curious with no ulterior motive as to why someone thinks differently than you do, I think is a really empowering way to connect with people that don't, unlike you, look like you vote, like you listen to the same news feeds that you do, right? Like, what a boring world that is if, if, if you're just in an <laughs> echo chamber, right? Like, that's not, I don't, mm -hmm. who wants to do that? Mm -hmm. Like, that's where you go for safety. That's where you go to get your ego pumped up. That's where you go to, like, feel good. But, but like, I'm just going to, like, write off half the world because I don't have the capacity to be compassionate? Like, does it matter if they're compassionate or not? Not really. You know, like, I, I don't know. To me, it's all about that connection and that, and that bridge. And, and then we have the authority and the agency to stop that conversation whenever we want to, whatever we get to. But like, let's at least start it with curiosity. Let's start it with connection. Let's start it with an attempt to, to, be, to be that bridge. We can always take it back, but if we're not willing to give it in the first place, how many of those opportunities are we going to miss out on? 
Bingo. I mean, yeah. that's it. Couldn't have said it better or as well. And I think that that's the important piece of the empathy. And also keep in mind that he doesn't disrespect who you are and doesn't not love you and doesn't support who you are and how you live your life. That wasn't the issue for him. And you make that very clear in your story. And I, and Exactly. And I think, you know, as we've talked about our nonprofit, Look Both Ways, that's what we're, you know, it always started out with Look Both Ways, meaning let's talk about comprehensive reproductive health and absence on the education, but Look Both Ways. And now it's really migrated into, let's just look both ways to make sure that, you know, we're getting everybody in in our sites. And, you know, we don't miss, and like you said, you may not necessarily agree with it, but you did take a look at it. You know, well, and that's I think that's the importance of hearing people's stories. I mean, it's yeah. it's really hard to yeah. to dislike somebody when you understand where they came from and and their motivations and why, like you said, why they think differently than you or do differently than you were. I mean, we're all different, but it's because we have these unique stories and and a different point of reference. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's so much it's incredible what you can learn and, and how much bigger you can make your world when you just listen to other people's stories and realize, oh, well, you think very differently than me. And that's, that might be why you would vote for somebody that I wouldn't vote for, or why you would make this decision that I would never make, you know, but without listening to people, there's no way to, to ever come to that. Right. Because we become so separated just by politics that it's like, I tell my family, we're arguing about people we've never met, we're never going to (laughs) meet. And probably aren't completely telling the truth anyway, you know, about anything. And so right. uh, uh, all the way around. And, uh, and and you have to ask yourself, do you want to be right or do you want to get along? You know, it's yeah. just. And it's, like if we, if we yeah. preach inclusivity specifically, you know, more so from the left, I would say. But like if we want to truly be inclusive, we don't get to choose who gets to come to the table. Right. Like if we're going to be inclusive, then we have to be willing to listen and bring in everybody and have those conversations. Right. And, and again, it's not just, we're not just inclusive of people that agree with us or mostly agree with us. And then we just disagree over the 10%. Like, who are we to say who is a potential ally? And like, if that person sees the world so differently from us, but we do align on certain things, the impact that they can make as an ally to me, regardless of where they, how they vote is immeasurable. Right. And so like Mm -hmm. how, how, we can't be exclusive. We have to think about who we're not including. And le- and how myopic and underserving would it be for you to not include abstinence-only education? Like, why would we and right. why would we from right. the jump just exclude a certain group of people because what we think they right. believe or what we assume? Like that's it just right. by definition isn't inclusive. So we have to practice what we preach even when it's uncomfortable. Right. Exactly. And your book is perfect in that concept, you know, for anybody who is jumping ahead, the book, as I mentioned earlier, is called Step Up, How to Live with Courage and Become an Everyday Leader. And I recommend it for everybody. I recommend this book for everybody. <laughs> I mean, from, from I, I guess everybody just says it all. I have to qualify it, do I? No, just you don't. Everybody, everybody. Every person, you know, it's really good. And I, I want to ask you, so you know, you've done all, you've done all these speaking. You you've empowered a lot of people to feel good about where they are and where they're going, or you've motivated them to get up and do that. That they've been maybe sitting behind, going, "No one wants to hear my voice," and you're saying, "No, we all want to hear your voice." 
So when did you get that aha moment that said, I got to write this book? I had met so many people speaking, you know, mostly corporate that would really like the talk, really, really like the, the keynote and then say, you know, when I'm a dot, 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 when I'm a VP, when I'm a director, when I'm a manager, I'm going to implement that, right? I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. Or, or kid, you know, I'd speak at high schools and be like, oh, when I get a job, that's how I'm going to be right. Or when I'm a senior, I can, and you're just like, you're missing the whole point. Like it's right now. You have the power right now. I promise you every single person who is listening to this, there are people that look to you as a leader, right? It might not be where you get your paycheck from. It might be your house. It might be your church. It might be your community. It might be the person that sees you open the door to let somebody go in front of you or let the person with two things and a screaming kid go in front of you at the grocery store, right? Like you don't even know who you're a leader for. And so the first thing we have to do is acknowledge our role to be able to lead right now from exactly where we are and create safe spaces for people to be themselves exactly where we are. And maybe it's just my little family or this little team or my cube or whatever, right? But like, how do we redefine that we're not looking to other people and waiting for administrators or legislators to mandate some sort of acceptance, but we can do it right now. That that grassroots version of it is what it is. And so there were so many people that I wanted to listen to that I was inspired to, but they couldn't see themselves as leaders. And so I wanted to write this book for all of those people to start leading now, right? To have the, mm-hmm. like, can you imagine being 10 and being able to read a room? Like it would be, that's like a superpower, <laughs> yeah. right? Like well, how would <laughs> yeah. that serve you? How yeah. much better would you do at advocating for yourself and and being an ally and being a leader if you had that tool set when you were 10 or 12 or 52, right? Like whatever, wherever you are, you can start. That That's it. There's no promotion. There's no, there's no title. There's no anywhere to get to start the leading process, right? You start from exactly where you are and we can all do it today just by changing our behaviors, by doing that thing. That's a little bit scary by pushing our limits, by having those awkward conversations, all the little things, right? It's not this like giant leap. It's the slow trajectory. And it doesn't, you know, you look at the line and hopefully it like constantly goes up and to the right, but if you zoom in on it, it's like, boop, 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 right? You have these missteps, you have these drops, you have these setbacks, you have all of these things, but you keep moving, you improve on the thing that you did last time and you do it better the next time, right? Or your your threshold of fear or anxiety is higher. So your willingness to be awkward has increased and it just goes up and up and up, but it isn't without setbacks, right? It isn't, it's a slow, gradual climb. But then if you look back a week, a month, a year, a decade, where you are is a completely different spot than where you started. Right. And that is so exciting because that's a principle I think that we, that Mandy and I really try to live by and what we really try to promote is the empowerment of self, you know, and I've said over and over again, you are CEO of yourself. You know, you get to, you are the CEO, you get to make all these decisions about how you want your corporation to run and you are the corporation, right? And I think that that message is is critical for all ages. And like you said, imagine being 10 and being able to read the room. Although I can tell you, kids are pretty good at uh, figuring out where they're going to get their bread buttered. (laughs) You know that you have two of them. They know, they know. They're like, I didn't get the answer I wanted, so I'm just going to go. Yeah. Yeah. 
Reframe, catch, catch put on the that. dimples. Yeah. 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 Mom yeah. won't do it, but Mimi will. Well, I know she will. <laughs> yep, and then exactly. You, yeah, for sure. So are there any plans for um, a second book? You know, I've, I've thought about it. It's funny. The the first one happened and then you, you I read, you know, read through it and it, just, it felt, you know, because from the time you started and then you go through the whole process and then it launched, you know, uh, March like 13th of 21 and 20, which was like the worst time to launch a book in the history of publication, <laughs> right? Like the world was melting the day down. the world ended yeah exactly and i was like hey i got this really well, it doesn't seem to be any bandwidth on media right now for my little book <laughs> right so um but it's, so then it's i've kind of done like a 2.0 launch of it um post pandemic because you know again so many different leadership things that are that are happening in ways that people can kind of like step into their power now um but then you read it and it feels tired it, it feels i mean like i didn't have the lens of two kids. I didn't have the lens of the NICU, right? Like I didn't have so many human experiences that humanized me, I guess. And more than that, made me relate and be grateful for so many other things and people in my life to see journeys. Um, I mean, you just like live and and see more stuff, right? And experience more. And it was right after the death of my dad. And and so kind of launching into the business in a, in a different way and different permissions I had to give myself and hurdles and like all the stuff, you know what I mean? You just have a different perspective, I think, in that. So I think so. I have like, you know, the notes in my phone that are just like topics that I would want to go into, like resilience, right? Like things that you, things that you learn that are, um, I think important. I think if I come up with another eight, maybe I'll get there. But, um, you know, you just, uh, I, th I think that there's just so much more to learn and you see people that are, that are powerful in a non-traditional way. And, and I, I just like gravitate to people like that. And, and you've, and I, you know, things happen that in my head turn into a story that either leads into a talk or leads into a chapter is kind of like how it works for me. So, um, I think that, that it, it feels like there's a, a follow up to it somewhere in there, but I've only got like two, two, two of them as of now. So we'll see. Well, there's cool. still time. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I, it's, it's an organic process, I'm sure. And something that, you will trust and it will yeah. unfold the way it needs it will, to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's like therapy though. I feel like you just like yeah. <laughs> throw it down on a piece of paper or record and you're like, ah, I'll come back to that later. Yeah. With it, things changing and, and, uh, the world is definitely different, you know, in, in the last two years and not sure we'll go back to where we were and not, not necessarily sure we have to, but some things I'd right. like to see get back to, the same but we all know what sure. that is so <laughs> right. but anyway is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to you would like to share i guess the only thing would be you know with kids any anybody that's listening that has um either students or parents that are listening that have children there's so much support out there that you're just you're not alone and it feels like you're the only person that's ever been through this and you're not. And there's resources, whether they're locally, um, it's just such a, there's a community out there of people that are going through the same process in whatever that looks like, right? Whether that's like trans athlete issues or bathroom, but like there's just, there's so much that's happening that fluidity, um, preferred name, self ID, like all of the things that are happening, like people are doing it and there's organizations and some corporate 
organizations that are really, really proactive in that and super active in it. And so I would, I would just say, um, those feelings of alone are real. And I would urge anybody to, to look for and seek resources out there. And I'm, uh, if you go to my uh, website, it's just ashbeckham.com and there's like a Q&A thing. So if anybody wants resources, they're more than happy, welcome to come to me. Um, or obviously I know you guys have a plethora of resources, but just the the most crippling thing is to feel like you're doing it by yourself and and just know that you're you're not alone. Yeah, I think that's an important um, message. And again, we appreciate you and your yes. time and your your go get them us go get them us <laughs> and your humor. I, and your I humor. enjoyed laughing. Yeah, of course, <laughs> the humor is good. Yeah, yeah humor got, is, you got to laugh about it. You just have to. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, you cry. Don't right? Like, how do you? Yeah. Not, you just have yeah. to. At some point, it's yes. okay to laugh. It's okay that it's hard. It's okay to like not be an advocate every single second of every day. Like, yes, find lightness. And, you have to. You you just can't. Yes. It's like beyond. It's an ultra marathon. It's beyond that. You're going to do it the rest of your life. And we need activists and advocates that are going to be in it for the long haul. So don't burn yourself out. Cause you can't like turn it off. You gotta, you know, you gotta turn it off. You gotta give yourself time to regenerate and not always be that person. It's, it's brutal and it's exhausting. Yes. yes, it is. And you really, you really do it well. And we so appreciate your time you've given us for this episode. And again, it was great seeing you, even if it is through zoom and, uh, I'll never forget that cup of coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you let me know, and I'm I'm always up for always up for another one, and would love to would love to come back and see the next great thing that that you two are doing with this, and and the messages you're getting uh, out are just remarkable. So thanks for everything you do. Yeah. Thank ditto. you. All right. Well, take care. Hug that. Hug your family for us, and uh, yeah, have a great night. Yeah. Absolutely. I can hear the meltdowns happening upstairs. So I'll head up and okay. take care of that. You move on to the next thing, right? That's just like, yeah. turn it off. I'm no, like no longer the podcast. I'm just, now I'm just like, somebody's going to throw now up your on mom. Yeah. 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 So it's going to throw up on you. Yeah. 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 Next transition. <laughs> Time to shift gears. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, take care. Thank you so Bye. much. Bye y'all. Thanks for everything. What an inspirational talk we just had. I know. I mean, I have felt that way even just watching her TED Talks. I mean, sure. really, like you watch her TED Talks, you're like, she's my friend. I know her. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because she's everybody's person. Yeah. Right? Because she says a lot of things that you go, uh, I, I've wanted to say that. and But she does it with grace and humor and sincerity. And she walks the walk and all those things. And, um, you know, reading her book, I it, it's so relatable. And I do hope people go and purchase it or like I, will. Yeah. I was gonna say you can borrow mine but you can go buy I can one go too buy my own, yeah. so again another enjoyable interview and i um am glad to hear that she still lives in the area that's good that's fun and yeah. i mean i, I really kids. liked i liked all the things she had to say i mean i really liked the the and she brought it up again tonight just that you know not about comparing how hard conversations are you know my conversation yeah. was more hard than yours what i went through is more difficult just the yeah. empathy of of Hard is hard. Hard is hard. Hard is hard. And we all have them. We all do. And it's always a point of reference. And the point of reference is who's experiencing that. It's not your point of reference. Right. You know, or not you personally, but you in general. Right. right? And, 
you know, like my daughter used to say, just because you're not experienced, it doesn't mean it's not happening right. to someone else or to, you know, yeah. to a different Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. right. We'd like to live our lives that way as people, but it's not possible. Yeah. But another good one. Yeah. Glad she gave us the time. Yeah, I wonder if she'd have coffee with me again. I should just give her. Yeah, you should I'm invite me that. too. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah. You're my buddy. We could go we together. Could go. We could go have coffee. Yeah. yeah. Long months about uh, not far. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we're done. Is that you? Is that Hannah? Uh, Hannah's oh, not I'm not hated. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll mute now.